Hey, y'all. Welcome to the White Coat, White Collar Podcast, where we help current and aspiring STEM and healthcare professionals demystify the career landscape. I'm your resident host and corporate scientist, Dr. Aurelia Whitmore. Each and every episode, I'm bringing you along as I talk shop with active professionals. We're discussing career journeys from white coat to white collar and everywhere in between. So turn the volume up and let's get this interview started. Hi, everyone. Thank you so much for attending today's episode. I'm so happy to have Dr. Lee on the call, or as he is usually referred to as Lee the Scientist. So what's up, Lee? How's it going? Good. I'm super happy to join you. I'm so happy for you to be here. Lee had just finished his PhD last year from Thomas Jefferson University in genetics, genomics, and cancer biology. Right, Lee? Yeah. There's a lot there. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So I just remember connecting with Lee on Instagram and like him just being so vocal and posting his pictures in the lab and just being like that cool down to earth scientist. And from then I was like stalking Lee, like, hey, Lee, we need to talk. We need to talk. (laughs) And so I finally got Lee here on the call. And Lee has also worked with me on some other career consulting projects. And he's just awesome. So Lee... From my personal experience with you, I know that you actually secured your job before you defended your research. So I can speak to that a bit. I was definitely on the job hunt, like the last year of my PhD. Mm -hmm. So I was interviewing even before I had my, I had to have my defense date. I was interviewing while I was like scheduling my last thesis submitting to ask to write. I was already doing interviews. Wow. And really that was just because I had been nurturing, you know, all of these contacts and networks. Mm-hmm. And I was like, hey, I'm like six to eight months out. Let me start doing some interviews. Right. That's awesome. And I know you've always been business savvy. I know that just going back to your time in Florida, I know that you have your bachelor's degree from Florida Atlantic University. So shout out to the South. I'm a Southern girl too. <laughs> but <laughs> Go Owls. Yeah. And um, yeah, but I know that you you are like a promoter in Florida and, you know, from a promoter in Florida to now um, working at Axiom Health Care Strategies, like you've always had that business savviness to you. Even at Thomas Jefferson, I know you were one of the co-founders for BizBio. So BizBio had started before I got there, mm-hmm. but once I got to, you know, to Thomas Jefferson University, I joined as a member. It was like a student organization. And then like my following year, like my sophomore year in, in grad school, I was part of the board. Wow. Cause I like had a vision yep. for, for how, how I think, yeah. you know, the stuff should go and mm-hmm. what resources students needed. Yes. And so then it was, you know, if they weren't being provided, then it was like, they need to go get them. And it's, it's also important to then share those resources once you got them. Right. Right. And I know that's something that you took very serious while in grad school, just working with students, you co-created and implemented case study workshops. You recruited for yeah. Abercrams. Like, kind of give us some background. Like, where did these passions come from? How did you maintain defending your research, publishing papers, being a social media influencer, as you would say? Yeah. How did you manage all of this while doing your PhD? I think FYI, so all, you know, students that are thinking about doing a PhD, they need, like, have this consideration. Yes. They say there's like four things you can do in grad school. There's like, you can like eat, <laughs> sleep, do research, and then like build your career. Mm-hmm. Like 
network and stuff yeah. like that. And then there's like social life, yes. right? And then they say like you can't do all five right, of them. Right. And they're probably right. So I didn't sleep a yes. lot during grad school. I have a horrible sleep like, schedule. Like three hours a night? I, yeah, like 20 hours. Yeah, I was like, I was like getting up at five, going to the lab, doing stuff, and then like making it to like happy hours in the city to like network. mango with like biotech right. people. And then like going back to the lab at like night and like a shirt and tie wow. and sports wow. coat in the lab. You were so committed to to all pillars. <laughs> Except for the sleep part. I was, you know, and I'm still, you know, having a social life because the PhD is super stressful. So you, you got to carve out time for yourself so that you can, you know, keep it under wraps. It's super stressful to, to go through that. It's long. It's like five years, mm-hmm. six years even sometimes. So you got to pick where you want to be at. And if, I think if you're interested in doing industry related things during the PhD and you're not at an Ivy League institution, FYI, most of us aren't at Ivy yes. League institutions, then you need to network to even the playing field, yes. so to speak. And I'm, I'm so glad you said that because that's also my story. I'm a two-time HBCU graduate and I networked so much to get to secure my first job in industry. Like that consisted of my life. The last year of my PhD program was networking mm-hmm. and trying to meet people and identifying companies that I wanted to work and finding people within those companies who knew someone that I may know. So it's definitely a lot of work. I mean, on top of that, I was, um, you mentioned some of the stuff I was doing for the university. You know, I'm a social butterfly, right? You talked about me being a promoter, you know, when I was in South Florida, you know, (laughs) and it's like students are like, these kids are geniuses. Like, you know, I'm smart and all that, but you got, you know, PhD programs, you got people there that are like on a spectrum and like super smart, but they're horrible communicators (laughs) and they don't ask for help and they don't really know what they want because they're not exposing themselves so i think it was just like really a passion for me to like show students that there's other stuff out there this is what your worth is right and if you want to stay in the lab for the rest of your life cool but i don't want that to be the option because you didn't think that there was anything else you couldn't do right and so doing all those you know case study stuff and you know inviting speakers and recruiting even for the university I, i got the opportunity to go to some conferences and essentially recruit minority mm-hmm. students specifically to Jefferson. So that was like a super plus. And it was like, hey, I'm here. <laughs> There's not a lot of us, but at least I'm here. Yep. So, you know, you might have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, to be honest, it was an opportunity to just expose myself uh, mm-hmm. to many things as possible, you know. And even in that, I was like working with administrators for universities and from the university. And like some of them had PhDs. Some of them, you know, were like postdocs and like an administrative setting. And I realized yep. I didn't want to do that either, but... At least yeah. I knew I didn't want to do that because I had like explored and talked to people in that right. setting. Right. So I had like an understanding like, yeah, I can't see myself doing that for the next 10 years or something like that. Right, right, for sure. And I know that you did a lot of informational interviews. Why don't you explain what it's an informational interview and what was your approach to doing it to make your career decision? All right, awesome. So this is a fantastic question. So an informational interview is essentially when you reach out to somebody that is in a professional setting or that has a career that you want to learn more about. And so you contact that person to ask them about their career, some of the nuances about the job, and to try to get some feedback on whether you might be a good fit. That's the purpose of it. How I went about this is, though, I absorbed all available information I could that was accessible before I got on an informational interview. And what I did when I actually found somebody to talk to, either via LinkedIn or networking or whatever, LinkedIn is a great resource. You could talk about that in depth. Yes. Most of my interactions have been through LinkedIn. When you reach out to people and you talk to them, 
that interview serves two purposes for you to pressure test some of the assumptions that you have from all of your research that you've done about their role and for you to market yourself to that person. Yep. Everybody you talk to, that's an opportunity for you to brand, for you to get in their brain and say, hey, remember that kid I talked to like six months ago? This new position came up. Maybe I should reach back out to him on LinkedIn because he was really bright or he was really enthusiastic or whatever right. the case may be. And so that's yeah. the type of impressions you want to leave on people. And if you do enough of those, you know, I must probably do like 60 informational interviews. Only the first 20 were like really informative. Yeah, like probably like 60. Like, oh, of course, wow. of four years. Because I was doing information interviews like in my second From year. day one. But right, yeah. but how did you know to do that? Like even me in my second year, my PhD program, I didn't even know about industry jobs. Like the one I'm in, I knew Johnson & Johnson. I'm a pharmacologist. I should work at Johnson & Johnson. How did you even know to make these approaches? So that was a little bit from the in-person stuff. Yeah. You know, I did my PhD in Philly, just like the fifth largest city in the U.S. And also there's a ton of pharma and not necessarily in the city, but in, in the broader Philadelphia area. Mm -hmm. You know, J&J is like right across the street. Yep. BMS is in New Jersey and Princeton, which is like an hour outside of Philly. GSK, all this stuff. There's a bunch of companies. So I had met a few people that worked in these spaces. Four companies. I met people that were consultants. Mm -hmm. I met people that were medical writers, you know, just by happenstance, by being social in these settings, in these biotech settings, in these startup community things. I was going to all of these things I could. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you start talking to those people and you start listening to their path and they were like, oh, well, you know, you met people from Penn and they're like, oh, well, McKinsey comes to my university and recruits. And I was like, McKinsey's not coming to Thomas Jefferson and recruiting. <laughs> so how do I get on these people's radar, or, you right. know, the map or whatever? Absolutely. So then I started reaching out to people to like, just learn more about all these things. So I'm a consultant right. now, but I didn't do like 60 interviews and just consulting. Like right. I like learned about every industry position, wow. I think. And then I've narrowed down on consulting, you know, after like a few interviews, but right. the point I wanted to make before you move on was mm -hmm. those first 20 interviews were like actual informational interviews. Like I mm -hmm. learned something from those first 20 interviews. Right. Everything else after that was pure networking and branding. I, I reached out to those people. Hey, I'd like to talk to you about your role. I had already known everything about their role. Yep. <laughs> I just wanted to get in their ear and speak to them and, right. you know, hey, if something comes up, reach out to me. Right. Let me know how I can help you. Those types of things. Absolutely. So when you mentioned you had about those first 20 interviews and then you narrowed it down to consulting. So what were your top three choices of interests? Yeah, it was MSO, Medical mm -hmm. Science Liaison, Business Development. Mm hmm for like a university informational tech transfer thing. Yes. Or to go into BD for like a company. Yep. Okay. And then consulting? And then consulting. Okay. Those are like my top three. And no specific order. Okay. This, those are the top three. Gotcha. Medical writing was not in the mix for me. Okay. <laughs> and I didn't want to be a staff scientist at like a company either. Yeah. Yeah. And so why consulting? So I'll tell you why not the other things. Or okay. I'll describe and brief the other okay. jobs. Perfect. At MSL, right? Their job is to be like the point of scientific contact for physicians mm -hmm. from the company's perspective. Yep. So a physician has a question on a drug, they want to reach out by a clinical trial, they call the MSL. Yep. That's essentially what they do, snapshot. But they only talk about what the company wants you to talk about. Right. You got to toe the company line. Right. I didn't want to do that. Right. Because <laughs> you're an MSL for like one drug or two drugs and you can only talk about your scientific opinion about that. You can't say, hey, our drug is the third best here. It's kind of poopy. You can't say that, right? You can't. You can't do that. <laughs> right. You can't say that. I didn't want to do that. Right. The business development thing 
was like you could work for a university and be part of like information yeah. like tech transfer or stuff like that mm -hmm. or if you had some experience in it which like i had an opportunity to like do like an internship i didn't because once i learned about the position i didn't want to do yeah. that but at a company you like do bd and it's like hey how can we partner with universities or small biotechs to get something accomplished, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, some goal or whatever. Mm -hmm. How do we reach out to those people? Kind of like an acquisition or partnerships and things of that sort. Right. So it is science-y in nature, but it's a lot more business yeah. oriented than I was looking for. Gotcha. And then consulting. Consulting comes in two flavors. One is management consulting, which is like what McKinsey does mm -hmm. and, and BCG and Bain. They like tell companies what to do, but help them implement that strategy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So like they send their consultants to like the company, like four days a week or yeah. something like that. That's management consulting. Mm -hmm. Then there's strategy consulting, which is like somebody says, I want to catch a fish. And then you say, well, you get a fishing rod and you get the boat and you go to this mm -hmm. lake and you cast it at this degree. Now go do mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. That's strategy consulting. Right. We don't get on the boat with you and help cast the fishing line. You provide the blueprint to do it though. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. It's more like strategic decision-making yes. support. Yes. And so that was super interesting to me. And like, you know, a consulting question could be like, how do we reduce the cost of some operational mm -hmm. thing? And it's like, help us do that. And I didn't want to do that either because that's not really a science yes. question, although that can be applied to biotech, right. drug manufacturing, right. whatever, right. but it's not a science question in the nature of it. Strategy is like, hey, we want to put our drug in this tumor and we don't really know if it'll work. What do we need to know? Right. And then like a consulting firm will actually provide an analysis that says, these are the things that you need to pressure test. And this is how you should build a trial to test it. So that's what I right, do now. <laughs> which is awesome. And I know you really like your job and you've been in it, what, eight months now? Yeah, I got it in September. Okay. So it's like nine months, yeah. I guess. And so. it required you to relocate, right? Out of Philly? As in, it's in Princeton. Okay. So nice. Princeton and Philly are like an hour away from okay. each other. And so I live like 30 minutes outside of Philadelphia and still like 30 minutes away from Princeton. So I'm like right in between both gotcha. cities. So technically I relocated, yeah. but that's not really relocating in the Northeast. <laughs> it's like a 30 minute drive back to where it was. Awesome. Yeah. So in consulting, as you mentioned, you guys pretty much set the strategy for companies to be able to put forth the products or make modifications to enhance the business of the company. So what does that look like from your end? Obviously, consulting firms hire scientists, they hire PhDs, but how do you all stay abreast on the newest techniques or the newest technologies or maybe the newest types of strategies that works for a certain, whether it's an oncology drug or a diabetic drug? Like, why don't you kind of go into a little more details about that? Yeah, so I would say that I only do oncology products. I only do oncology assets. And that's part of the reason why I'm at the company that I am at is because 80% of the work they do is oncology focus. And then the other 20% is rare disease. And I, I don't do rare disease because my PhD is in oncology. So that was like a sell for me amongst other things. But to answer your question, the PhD teaches you how to solve complex problems, how to get to solutions, how to take a lot of data and synthesize that into, you know, digestible pieces so that other people can understand. Right. And so that's like the skill set that you get from the PhD. When you get put on a project, you have like several weeks to turn into an expert. You know, a project could be eight weeks long. The first three weeks are spent for you to turn into an expert. 
and to, you know, build the structure and a framework out, like learn as much as you can and leverage internal and external resources so that you can answer said question or said ask. So for me, it's a little bit easier. You still find yourself networking depending on what type of case you get put on your desk? Yeah, so it's totally different though, but it's networking not with people within industry necessarily. It's mostly with physicians mm. because it's like they're kind of the gatekeepers for for drugs and, yes. you know, patient understanding. And yes. do you want to talk to physicians to understand their perspective? Mm -hmm. But even when you talk to a physician, at least in my experience, physicians really like talking to other physicians or PhDs. And I say this because... There's people that work with me that are not PhDs, brilliant people, but not scientists, and they're not from medicine. Yes. So when they talk to a physician, it's more like, hey, doctor, explain this to me. Mm -hmm. And that is like tiring sometimes for yes. physicians. Yes. When I get on the phone with a physician to have a conversation about something, we're shooting the <laughs> about some clinical trial or some disease state. More importantly, I've already read all of the information right. that I've needed to read. And I'm not coming there for you to educate me. I'm right. coming there for you to pressure test some assumptions that I've made already. Yes. And so you're speaking to a colleague as opposed to, you know, trying to teach me something. And I think that changes the dynamic that scientists have as physicians. And part of this is the value add for why PhDs in biomedical science get hired mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. consulting, particularly in the life science space. That's so true. A lot of companies search for PhDs for MSLs and business development, pretty much all of the jobs that you were interested in. <laughs> yeah. And to be honest, most people could do the actual functional elements of this job. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. I'm not splitting an atom at work. I'm in PowerPoint and Excel and stuff like that. I'm not doing calculus at work. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> Even though it was like a huge part of like, you know, drug development classes. Yes. That took. But I'm not doing that at work. Right. I'm right. doing Excel and stuff. So like. Uh, MBA could do my job. Mm -hmm. The thing is that it's harder to teach the MBA science, science mm -hmm. and, and medicine right. than it is to teach a PhD business. Right. So the other half of my job is learning about business, right. like right. commercial strategy and M&A and yes. all of that other stuff. Right. Was a part of your training maybe taking any business types of LMSs or how did your training look to shorten that curve for your business side? So I'll, I'll tell you what my company does and I'll tell you what I know from other companies. Mm -hmm. Training is like a huge part of consulting firms because the model is really recruit smart people. Mm -hmm. That's really the model. And if you're a PhD, there's always a space for you in consulting. You just need to choose what you want to do because that literally is the model. Mm -hmm. I, I work with PhDs from chemical engineering to, you know, whatever. Wow. In my company, we do something called Axiom University. Oh, it's nice. like two weeks long. Yeah. We teach everybody about, you know, core business stuff, core cancer biology stuff, core clinical concepts, and like a two-week time frame. Nice. Different companies have whatever version of that, mm -hmm. onboarding, what have you. And there is an opportunity for you to take some courses at like MIT or like, you know, like these three-day workshop things mm -hmm. that or like crash courses and like high level business concepts. That is also an option at, at my job. And that's an option at other consulting firms mm -hmm. too. Let's just backtrack a little bit. So you defended and between that time, actually you graduated and then you started your job or did you defend? Like, let's go back to that time frame right. and let's talk about, I know you did a lot of information or interviews, but why did you choose this company? Did they find you? Did you find them? Like, let's talk about your relationship now with this company, because I know that 
you've been killing it here and your plan is to grow and do some great things. Yeah, yeah. So you made a good match. It was. It's very, you know, Lego style, just perfect yes. fit. <laughs> I'll tell you my timeline. Yes. And I don't recommend this. Okay. Don't recommend this, but I'll tell you how okay. I did. I got my offer before I defended. And that's what you won't recommend. I recommend having a defense date mm. before you take serious interviews. Mm-hmm. Like you should ideally in January, you should say, okay, I'm going to defend in mm-hmm. June. And then those six months, you should be interviewing. Yeah. Ideally. Yeah. I was interviewing before I even asked for permission to write. Gotcha. I did that too. (laughs) (laughs) I asked asked for permission to write because I got, I was already going to ask for permission to write, but there was an impetus to actually get it out because I had got a job offer. I got like two offers actually, like a week apart. You had to like respond within like two weeks or something like that. So I was like, emergency committee meeting. (laughs) I need to write. And they were like, no. They were like, we're not going to let you defend. Like, we're going to set a time and like two months yeah. later or like three months mm-hmm. later and then ask mm-hmm, them. Mm-hmm. So I accepted the mm-hmm. offer, assuming that I was going to get permission to defend in that next committee meeting. So I was like hyper confident. Of course, all of this could have like blown up, but I was like very strategic. Again, I don't recommend this yeah, because, yeah. you know, this was like a unicorn scenario, I think. <laughs> so I accepted the offer in like March. I actually got permission to write and like the mm-hmm. summer I stopped working in the lab in September mm-hmm. and started my job I didn't defend until December you started working before you defended so that's even before graduation I just graduated like two months ago <laughs> no I graduated like last Wait, month and you've been at your job for eight months and I've been at my job for eight months How? okay <laughs> so the acquisition of the PhD was imminent at this point I had submitted the paper. It had got provisionally mm-hmm. accepted with minor mm-hmm. revisions. So it was like the paper was going to right. get published. So at that point, there was nothing that was yes. holding me back except for physically yes. defending. So I was like, I'm going to write the thesis and work. That I definitely don't recommend. Write your thesis. Just write it. Get it done before you start working. Because I was like sleeping like three hours a day, working 12 hours a day, and then trying to write oh my, my thesis gosh. in the afternoon. And then you're working a new job. So you were in the Axiom University. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Not doing well. So I don't recommend doing any of that. And so that was my timeline. But the ideal scenario, what I would recommend to students when I talk to students is that, hey, get permission mm-hmm. to write. You know, get a defense. Say, okay, that's right. in January. Write your thesis. Try to put your defense date like five, four months mm-hmm. away or something like that. Give yourself some time. Write your thesis in like two months. Submit mm-hmm. it to your committee. They're going to give you comments. Finish that. Give it back to So, but what about a job? Like, everyone wants a job, Lee. You're going to be interviewing this whole time. You're interviewing this whole time because people know that they're hiring Mm -hmm. a PhD. They know that your timeline is, it's all over the place. They know that you have to defend your thesis. They know that there might be edits. They know all of these things. So, in a normal consulting cycle, you interview, like, essentially the fall or the cycle before. So, like, you interview... In August mm-hmm. to December to start in like mm-hmm. June or something mm-hmm. like saying they interview like in the middle of their mm-hmm. MBA and then they have their last year and then they like work at the job that they did like an internship the year before or something like that. So like I told them like, hey, look, I got accepted my offer in like March. I said, I'm not going to be able to start until like September, mm-hmm. like five months away. They were like, OK, fine. Mm-hmm. 
So they were super flexible. That's good. So they let you sign your offer yeah. letter before. Yeah. Okay. Which is not. Wow. The That's larger awesome. the company gets, the more bureaucratic it gets. If you work at like a large company, they'll yes. say, we need a, a letter from your registrar office that says defendant and you're going to graduate and there's no hiccups that could take right. place to stop you from graduating. And I ended right. up getting that like after the fact. But I work at like a startup for all intents and purposes. We are like 60 employees. Yes. And so this is your next question mm-hmm. of how I actually found Axiom. The CEO found me on LinkedIn. Wow. You have to explain that. He commented <laughs> on a post that I made. We should have a separate discussion about how to brand yourself on LinkedIn. He commented on a post that I made about a trial that read out that was like on uh, BRCA negative ovarian cancer. I was like, you know, this trial is like mm-hmm. X, Y, and Z, my opinion on it. So then he commented on mm-hmm. it and then he yeah. sent me a message. He was like, hey, you interested in consulting? I see you on your page that you're interested in consulting. Are you looking for jobs? I was like, yes. He was like, let's touch base on like a Sunday. The yeah. CEO. But the, I will say that this is weird. Again, <laughs> startup culture is like very different. But yes, in a normal setting, it would have been like a recruiter. Because like recruiters are like mm-hmm. flooding mm-hmm. my inbox currently. And that was this kind of the vibe yes. beforehand. And there's a systematic way to approach this. Yep. But yeah, so when a recruiter reaches out to you, they want to have an initial conversation with you. And then eventually you'll talk to somebody at the company if the recruiter is like a third party. Mm-hmm. In this case, the CEO was like, hey, let's talk. I talked to him on like a Sunday night. I had essentially had my first round interview with him on a Sunday. And then he was like, hey, listen, I'm going to forward wow. your resume or your materials to our, like our HR and our recruiting team. They're going to set up a presentation for you. So I got all the information. I presented like a week later after I got the prompt. And then mm-hmm. I had two more interviews with like the chief of strategy and like one of their engagement directors, which is like a VP mm-hmm. in the consulting structure in the business space. Everything went well. Yeah. Got sent me an offer letter. That was very different from like the other consulting interviews. But you said you were interviewing with two companies. So did another CEO comment on your BRCA mutation? No, that was like, uh, um, clinical that was like a networking thing, though. <laughs> like I had reached out to okay. like a contact. Someone had that information interview with it. They were like, okay, cool. I'll send you a resume to this guy. I talked to him. He talked about my resume. He sent my resume to another guy. I talked to that guy who was like a director. Mm-hmm. And then he sent my resume mm-hmm. to HR. And then HR was like, gotcha. find a position on our website and send me an email. Don't even apply to send me an email and I'll give you an interview for it. So I was like, wow, four people removed from like apply yeah. on LinkedIn. Like, to, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. But that's just how like yeah. networking works. Honestly, that's why relationships are important. I did get like a medical, it wasn't medical writing. It was like a content editor or something like that for like a medical communications mm-hmm. company. That was another thing where mm-hmm. I didn't have any, and I just like reached out on LinkedIn and they hit me back and I went through yes. the interview processes. And ultimately yep. like the salary was just like not, compared to like the other offers I had, it was like not in the same, so I was like, no. <laughs> and like, maybe let's touch on that too, because I know for me, like making money after my PhD was so important to me. And positioning myself to make money was so important to me because you go through a PhD program where you're not making a lot of money. You're working these long hours. It's tiring. So, you know, like what hope or advice would you give to a PhD? They know they want to tap into industry. You know, they have responsibilities. We all have responsibilities and they want to find a job that's 
great for them, but they also know that money is a determining factor in that next step. Well, honestly, I would say that if you got a PhD, you're never going to be poor. So that's number one. So for me, that was like, because I came from poverty. So I was like, I need to make money, right? And, you know, hindsight, I ended up in a great place. But the reason I was looking at MSL positions was because, like, they pay you, like, in the 150 range to start. So I would say that it depends on what your skill sets are. I think once you understand where the price ranges are for positions, you get a PhD, you graduate, medical writing roles are going to be, like, 70 to 90K. Mm-hmm. Consulting roles are going to be 75 on the low, low end, mm-hmm. all the way up to 140 if you get hired at McKinsey and Bain or the top four. So mm-hmm. anywhere between 70 and 140, and probably the average is like six figures, like 110. Yep. Bonus structure is very different for consulting as opposed to other jobs. So that's an element. That's consulting. You're going to work long hours. We can talk about that after. <laughs> MSL is like, Super hard to get into, but they pay like 120 to like 140. So I think if you really care about money, it's like, okay, cool. Can I do those jobs? A. And then if the answer is yes to all of them and you really want to make money and that's your primary focus, then the choice gets super easy. Right. If you want different parts of your job, like you want to go to work and be passionate about something, like no part of me wanted to work for like an ad com like an advertisement agency mm-hmm. for pharma and, you know, be thinking about, I wonder what color these physicians are going to like for this drug <laughs> commercial. And, you know, PhDs got hired to do stuff like that and yeah. not to boo-boo it because there's a lot of money in there. Yeah. I just didn't want to do that. Right? right. And so I think it's all about the fit, but you're never going to be poor. And, you know, hopefully you did a PhD program and you don't have any debt on your PhD. If it's okay. biomedical sciences, you should. And so if you got some crazy debt from undergrad and you got to pay down some stuff, then You know, you got to be conscious of like whatever fits your needs in that context. Right. Absolutely. Awesome. Thank you so much, Lee. You drop gems per usual. (laughs) (laughs) And again, I'm just so proud of you. I'm so proud of seeing your growth. Everybody remember Lee because I promise you he'll be the CEO of a company one day. I'm (laughs) sure of it. I appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for joining us, Lee. Uh, Also, please tell your guests to reach out to me on LinkedIn if you have any questions. Follow me, send me a request, message, whatever. I'm super open to talk to you about consulting and otherwise. Awesome. Thank you so much. I'll leave his information through the White Coat, White Collar Instagram page and the LinkedIn community. Awesome. Cool. Thanks, Lee. That concludes today's episode of the White Coat, White Collar podcast. If you like these discussions and want to continue hearing more, please subscribe and leave a comment on the platform that you've tuned into today. For more resources on unique career options for STEM and healthcare professionals, please follow White Coat, White Collar on Instagram, Facebook, and LinkedIn. If you love what I'm doing and would like to be a sponsor to help me continue demystifying the career landscape, please visit whitecoatwhitecollar.com forward slash sponsor. Thank you for tuning in and all the best on your career journey. Remember, take the journey one step at a time and don't be too hard on yourself. You got this. Until next time.